Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi, plant people. Welcome to Plow and Hose. Thank you for joining me again in the backyard. It's been another soaky, soggy week here in Taylor and our part of Central Texas. Every single day, as the day starts to warm up, by the afternoon with this rain, it is just a muggy and gross mess. And I'm over it. I am a bit conflicted about all the rain that we've been getting. I mean, we really do still need the rain here in Texas. It's abnormally dry, according to the drought map. And I do love getting all that free water. But, you know, my tomatoes and peppers, they need some sun. They absolutely need some sun. Overall, everything in my vegetable garden looks pretty good thanks to all the rain. Everything except the grapes, which look absolutely terrible. And I'm totally giving up on them. I am just done with them for real. I am going to pull them out. And I hate that because it's such a shame because they're like five-year-old vines. And, you know, I've, I've got a lot of time invested in them, but... They're just not worth it anymore. We had a nice crop the first um, couple of years, but I don't know, a few years ago they got black spot and now they just look absolutely awful and I'm tired of it. Black spot is a fungal disease that causes the grapes to discolor and shrivel up and they look terrible um, and you, you can't eat them. The leaves, um, you know, like the first sign of black spot is the leaves will get these dark round spots and they look like polka dots and that's where the, um, spores start to develop. And then as the grapes start to form, black spot spores spread and then they infect the fruit and the fruit eventually will develop spots and then they start to harden and they shrivel up and they look gross. They look like these diseased freakazoid raisins. And this wet weather that we've been having is just making things worse for the black spot. You know, the grapes, they'll get new canes and they start sprouting leaves. And, you know, instead of looking at all of that mess, I've just like been pulling off the the new growth and feeding the stems and the leaves to my rabbits. They absolutely love those tender new leaves. And I figured that the bunnies might as well enjoy the grape, um, the stems and the leaves because I know I'm not going to be getting any fruit. I mean, I'll get fruit, but it's going to be ruined. So they might as well have the leaves to eat. Unfortunately, most of the fungicides used 
to or you know that are sold to control a black spot aren't really all that effective and really the best thing that we can do is just be super vigilant about removing infected leaves and canes and fruit from the planting area and hoping that you got it all and that's not going to be a problem next year but it will be because it's really hard and practically impossible to see every single spore that forms. Another part of the problem is that grapes don't do all that great in our part of the world. We are also limited in the kinds that we can grow. Of course, we can we can grow grapes here in Central Texas and you know, if you ever go out to the hill country there are several vineyards out there everything west of 35 is a totally different growing climate grapes that they are able to grow out there are of course wine grapes and those grapes grow pretty well in their soil which is rocky limestone caliche over here in taylor on this side of 35 we have that beautiful black land prairie soil that is heavy clay those wine grapes don't really care for our soil i mean obviously if they did we probably have some really successful vineyards over here in taylor but we don't we can grow a couple of varieties here but they aren't like the grapes that you can just get at the grocery store the kinds that we grow here to me aren't the best for eating right off the vine at least the few that we have tried growing as table grapes i gotta say they're pretty disappointing because they have thick skin big seeds and the texture inside is kind of gelatinous and slimy it was so disappointing the kids were so excited by the grapes when they first started forming but they were quickly disappointed because they were not at all what they were expecting. I don't blame them. So considering that we didn't really care for the grapes that we harvested before they got black spot, I'm okay with not having grapes. I'd much rather have the space to grow something else. So we are probably just going to remove them pretty soon and free up that space for something else. Now that we are at the end of May, the summer garden planting window is getting really narrow. You can put transplants in as you find them at the store and buy them. Selection isn't as good as it was at the beginning of the spring, but if there's something that you still want to plant, just go for it. We have been blessed with some really mild temperatures so far, but you got to get them in the ground really soon so they have time to get their roots established before it gets way too hot. Plants like peppers and tomatoes have extensive root systems and it takes them a little bit to get established. All plants do best in the summer heat when they have a good strong root system. But you need to get your veggies planted so they stand a chance. So get them in the ground if you were wanting to plant some seeds the planting window is 
closing really quickly for winter squash, cantaloupe, and watermelon. Those need to be planted by the end of the month. So don't delay, don't wait. The end of May is really the last opportunity to plant a summer garden. Most brand new baby seedlings just aren't going to be able to have enough time to be productive once the temperatures start to rise. There are a few summer seeds that you can plant in June all the way through the end of the month. You're still going to be able to plant southern peas, okra, warm season greens, and you can also plant sweet potato slips now through the end of June. If you missed the show I did on warm season greens, be sure to download um, Plow and Hope Plow and Hose podcast episode 19 from May 16th. Just go over to wherever you get your podcast, search for Plow and Hose, and you'll find all the recordings for this year. So go check that out. Just like summer veggies, there are a few summer annuals and wildflower seeds you can still plant. The window also is closing on them so get these um, started from seed so you can still sow zinnias marigolds and sunflowers Um, there are a couple other ornamentals that you can also plant right now cosmos morning glory coleus and gumfrena gumfrena is also known as globe amaranth and It's kind of an old-fashioned flower, and it's sometimes called bachelor's button. I really like globe amaranth. It's such a bright and cheery plant, and it does so well here in Central Texas. The flowers look very similar to clover flowers or like a little pom-pom, and they just come in a whole bunch of colors like red and orange, white, hot pink, and magenta. Since they are a member of the amaranth family, they are super heat tolerant and depending on the variety, globe amaranth only grows to be about two feet tall, but when they are planted in mass, they are quite striking, even if the flowers aren't all that big, but those flowers are so intensely colored. The flowers are really high in a pigment called beta cyanin, and that is what gives them their vibrant colors. And those colors are just so intense that um, they they can be used for natural colorants in food and also cosmetics. They contain so much beta cyanin that the flowers retain their color even after you've Um, cut and dried them so they're really popular in dried flower arrangements I think they are really cute and I'm partial to the magenta ones they make a nice addition to flower bouquets it's just like a small pop of color there is also a variety called fireworks that sends out these really long naked flower stems and there at the end is kind of topped with like this nickel sized 
flower pom-pom at the end. And so from a distance, the plant looks like an exploded firework and it's really cool looking. Gomphrena or bachelor's buttons can tolerate poor soil, but not soggy soil. It's happiest um, in an area that is well draining and it has full sun. It's such a good plant that it's designated as a Texas superstar plant. It is just so tough and it does really well in our Texas growing conditions. The Texas Superstar program was developed by the Texas A&M AgriLife Research and Extension Service. This program tests plants extensively for um, several years and the most impressive and the best performing plants achieve the de designation as a superstar plant. In field trials, they are pretty much planted directly in the ground with very little soil preparation and hardly any modification. They get just regular amount of water and they are not treated with any sort of pesticides. So they are really, really tough. So the only ones that get selected are going to be the best looking and the toughest plants around. And there really only are 60 plants that have ever been selected as superstars. If you want to learn more about the superstar program and these plants, go over to texassuperstar.com website and check that out. They also have a really nice booklet that you can print off. Well, all of this rain has been great for making my plants look lush and full. But we really have gotten a lot of rain this month and not a lot of time for the ground to dry out in between all these great soakings. And now some of my plants are starting to look a little bit waterlogged and kind of sad looking, especially my tomatoes. I'm starting to see signs of blossom drop where the little star-shaped yellow tomato flowers start to wither and fall off before fruit can set. It can happen to other plants like peppers, eggplants, and beans. Um, what happens is if the flowers don't get pollinated within a certain time frame, they just give up and die, and then they wither and they fall off. Tomatoes are self-fertile and they don't need cross-pollination. They don't need a buddy plant to produce lots of wonderful fruit. Now, some plants like squash have separate male and female flowers and the female flowers need pollen from the male flowers. Each tomato flower has both male and female parts and that's like super convenient for tomato plants but pollination doesn't happen on its own it's not an automatic thing just because it has male and female parts right there together the pollen has to transfer between the flowers reproductive parts in order for fruit to set it has to move from the male parts of the flower to the female parts Pollination naturally occurs through wi the wind or by insects or, or human intervention. 
since it's been raining, the flying insects haven't been nearly as active. And also, excess moisture and humidity can also prevent pollination because the pollen clumps up when it gets wet. Pollen has to be dry in order for fertilization to happen. If the humidity is too high for too long of a time, the blossoms aren't going to pollinate and the flowers will dry up and drop off. Tomatoes don't like it when the temperatures get over 90 degrees consistently and that can also cause um, their blossoms to drop. We really aren't at that point yet, but our hot summer will be here before I know it. And I'm getting a little concerned about my tomato and pepper plants setting fruit and flowers. Now, I can't control the weather or adjust the humidity, but I can try to help my tomatoes pollinate and get some fruit action going. One tip that I found for helping get my tomatoes to pollinate is to go out and shake the tomato plant and encourage the pollen to fall on the reproductive parts. Now, normally when insects come into contact with tomato blossoms, their wings create a sound called sonification and it shakes the pollen through vibration. One really cool idea I saw was to replicate the buzzing of insects. All you have to do is use an electric toothbrush to gently vibrate the blossoms. So all you have to do is you take an old, tooth, uh, old battery-operated toothbrush out to your plants, and with the flat side of the brush, hold it against the flower head and just let the brush buzz on, uh, buzz on it for like a few seconds. If the pollen is dry, you'll see a puff of pollen come out. And that is a really good sign that you'll have some fruit developing soon. I love this idea so much. And I totally <laughs> went and fished an old toothbrush out of the trash and took it immediately out to the garden to test. and. It was really cool to watch the pollen just puff out. I just touched the toothbrush to the base of the flower blossom and turned it on and I let it buzz a little bit and poof, a pollen just puffed right out. Um, my little boy was out there helping me and he was like, oh wow, that's so cool, mom. So with my toothbrush pollination intervention or my tomato fertility treatment program, I'm really anxious to see how well it worked because I've got four new varieties of tomatoes that I'm trying this year. So I'm kind of anxious to get some fruit to set on them soon. I am not sure who originally thought of using an electric toothbrush to pollinate tomato blossoms, but I love it, and I think it's just total genius. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music 
all coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to your podcast platform and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play and pause and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and leave a review, please. It's just super quick. Just click on some stars, type up a sentence about what you like about the show, and boom, you're done. That is going to help others find the show. And also, when you download the Plant Hose episodes, that's going to help provide me with show statistics. So go over to your podcast platform and download any shows that you missed or you just want to listen to again. All right. Aside from Blossom Drop, I'm also starting to see some other water-related issues in my garden with all this rain that we've gotten recently this month. But I gotta say, it's not all bad. One really good thing is that my compass pile that was like this giant heap of fall leaves and leftover debris of like dead plants from the February freeze. My compass pile has gotten really active and with the consistent moisture and the warm temperatures, the pile has shrunk by like half. And I'm really happy about that because it's a great sign that I have a well-balanced, active compost pile with great soil biology. And I know it's breaking down into rich, dark brown compost that I can use in my garden all summer long. Now, I mentioned last week that I was going to dig up my Yukon gold potatoes because they were giving me all the signs that they were done growing. I mean, I had yellowing leaves and the tops of the plants were beginning to like fall over. Those are the classic signs that potatoes are ready to dig up. I pulled them all up this week and I was pretty pleased with my harvest. Potatoes have never been crazy productive for me, so I really wasn't expecting much. Normally, I'm usually kind of disappointed, but I harvested eight pounds, which was double the amount I planted. I planted four pounds of potato seeds this year. I really thought that was pretty good. I mean, we live in Texas not Idaho. So it's not like we're really known for our potato crops. So I was satisfied getting eight pounds of potatoes. Anyway, potatoes are heavy feeders. And since I just pulled up all the plants, I added some fresh compost so that my beds have plenty of nutrients for the next round of plants that I'll be putting in. If you haven't started a pile, or you want some more information on composting, you can go check out episode 20 of the Plow and Hose podcast from May 23rd. I spent a little bit of time at the end of of that show talking about compost basics and how to brew some awesome, dark, rich compost tea that your plants will just love. 
So go check that out. You know, I heard on the weather this week that even though we are unusually soggy for May in Central Texas, we are still in a water deficit for the year. So even though I am sick and tired of it raining practically every weekend this month, and that's really been messing up my gardening free time, I am glad that we have been getting it. You might be noticing some other things going on as a result of excess water and humidity. I've noticed some tomato plants starting to turn yellow on the bottom sets of leaves. When plants get too much water, their leaves can start to turn yellow and drop off. Yellow leaves, yellowing leaves is a condition called chlorosis. When this happens, there is something that is interfering with your plant's chlorophyll. Chlorophyll is the green pigment in leaves and stems. Chlorophyll uses sunlight to make food for the plant, and when the plant starts to get pale and lose the green color, that's a sign of stress. But good news is that those yellow leaves are letting you know that you've got a problem and you need to fix it. Chlorosis is usually caused by a few things like poor drainage, improper watering, root damage, soil pH issues, and nutritional deficiencies. Since it's been raining quite a bit, I feel like my tomato plants are with the ones with the yellowing leaves. Uh, I feel like that's just caused by too much, um, too much water. I have them in raised beds and not planted directly in the heavy black clay soil that we have here in Taylor. But that black clay soil is directly underneath the raised beds and heavy clay soil just does not drain quickly. Overly wet soil, roots cannot breathe. The water from the rain, it gets and soaks into your beds. It takes the place of the air that is normally in the soil and the roots will start to suffocate. They just shut down and stop delivering water and nutrients to the plant. Yellow leaves will drop off and to me, it's like the self-preservation effort, you know, just drop those leaves so that there's a chance that the rest of the plant can survive. Too much water will cause roots to rot and that damage will cause your plants to die. If you have poor draining container, the roots are going to get waterlogged. They will start to rot and your plant won't be able to take up water or nutrients. Rotten roots will for sure cause your whole plant to die. To help with any water stressed plants in your garden, try adding some compost and mulch. Both will help absorb some of the extra moisture and compost. And it compost is going to actually uh, provide some extra nutrients. You can also add a dry granular fertilizer to help address um, any nutrient deficiencies 
any well-balanced fertilizer will do, but you do want to choose a low-dose product. And by that, I mean one that has like a low ratio of nutrients. The NPK numbers on the package, the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So on the label, it will be like 312 or 555. This is a low-dose product. This is going to give your plants just a little extra boost to help them with any water-related stress. I've also been noticing more mosquitoes too along with all this rain. Mosquitoes lay their eggs on the surface of stagnant or still water where they lay their eggs, they hatch, and they develop in the water. The eggs are just so tiny that you may never even notice that they are there until they develop into like squirmy larvae, just wiggling and jiggling in the water. It's so gross, yuck. Ugh. Mosquitoes can't lay eggs in moving or running water, so they seek out calm, extremely low moving water like puddles or anywhere water collects like your dog's water bowl, into buckets or rain barrels. If there is standing water and the water temperature is right, you can bet a mosquito is going to find it and lay eggs in it. When mosquitoes start having babies in your rain barrel, that's when rainwater collection gets a little sketchy. Not that they are bad for the water and they aren't gonna hurt your plants, but Mosquitoes are considered the deadliest animal on earth because of all the bloodborne pathogens that they spread. Malaria, dengue, Zika, West Nile. These little insects have the potential to make people sick and they do kill hundreds of thousands of people every year all over the world. So I've definitely have mixed feelings about mosquitoes. They are a major source of food for many, many creatures like birds and fish and bats. So if you have any standing water, be sure to either dump it or treat it so you don't have a mosquito breeding ground right in your backyard. Even if you aren't worried about getting West Nile or Zika. I, I just don't know anyone who enjoys getting mosquito bites. So if you want to enjoy your backyard this summer, be sure to do something about standing water. And it's not hard to do. You just empty the containers. But for like rain barrels, and you want to save your rainwater, um, there is a product, it's called Mosquito Dunks. They are biodegradable donut-shaped discs that float on top of standing water. They contain an active ingredient called Bt, and that's short for Bacillus thuringiensis. Bt is a bacteria that is lethal to mosquito and insect larvae, but it's completely harmless to humans, pets, and plants and it's very appropriate for organic gardening. So all you have to do is put a mosquito dunk into your rain barrel and it's gonna slowly dissolve into the water and it'll kill the mosquito larva. I've used these before 
and I can tell you that they are effective in keeping your rainwater barrels mosquito free. Now, they are sometimes hard to find, but most local nurseries will carry them. If you have a hard time finding them, then you can always use liquid BT. It's a much better value in my opinion. I can just add a splash to my rainwater barrel and it will kill off any larva in there also. Another advantage of liquid BT is that it can be used for other things in the garden like getting rid of caterpillars that might be trying to eat up my tomato plants. Both products do the same thing. They kill mosquito larvae and this keeps you and your family a little safer from mosquito-borne illnesses when you're spending time outside. BT, like I said, is considered safe for humans, but just always read the package um, before you apply any sort of product. Once you put it in there and it, it into your rain barrels and it kills all the larvae, all that dead larvae is going to sink to the bottom of your barrel and that's kind of gross, but after you use your harvested rainwater, you can just pour the sediment out into your compost pile or into the yard or into the garden. It's not going to hurt anything. The only thing that's going to suffer are those mosquitoes. BT is safe and easy to use. It's fairly inexpensive way to treat and break the mosquito life cycle. Okay, you know, another thing that I've been uh, seeing a lot of after the rain, I've seen a lot of mushroom and fungi popping up all over the place. I've got a patch of those delicate, common white mushrooms just popping up in a shady part of my yard. And I've also got some interesting orange fungus that is starting to pop up on top of the fence gates, I got like the wooden fence gates, got the, these little orange little things. There's like quarter inch growth on top of it. Fungi always comes up when conditions are moist and humid. They spread by microscopic spores that can be carried by the wind. They are, or there are fungi that live in the soil and that are always there and they're always hard working, breaking down organic matter and turning it into nutrients for plants. When you see mushrooms, you should feel good that you have nice, healthy soil. If you have kids or pets that might try to eat mushrooms, then you'll probably want to remove them. But all you have to do is just knock them over or kind of pluck them out of the ground and just keep them out of reach. Most mushrooms and fungi are harmless. Some are mildly toxic and will give you a stomach ache if you eat them. So teach your kids or your grandkids not to touch mushrooms and definitely not to eat anything, eat any mushrooms that come from the yard. Or, you know, just teach them to ask before picking them. Mushrooms and fungi are very important to soil biology. So I don't get bent out of shape when I see them in the yard or in a flower bed or in a flower pot. If you don't like them, just remove them. There is absolutely no need to treat them or think that you have to. 
because fungicides they will kill those mushrooms that pop up in your yard but they're also going to kill the beneficial fungi too and honestly once it gets sunnier and we are able to dry out a little bit mushrooms and fungus are not going to for form because they really prefer moist and dark conditions Alrighty, that's all I have time for today. I want to thank you for joining me here in my backyard. I hope you have a lovely and wonderful week this coming up week. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.